Pastor Xavier Reese acknowledges God's best is above all that we could ask or think. We always have our eyes, oh, well, if I could have that, if I could do this, if, if I could only be there, if I could only have her, if I could only have him, if I had this, if I had that, it's a snare. And yet God says, here's what I have for you. This is the best. And you look at it and you go, yeah. You know, and it's just like spitting in God's face. You've got the best. Are you enjoying the best? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. After having led the children of Israel out of Egypt to the doorstep of the Promised Land, it hardly seems possible that any of the tribes would consider not entering in. However, today we'll see some willing to settle for second best across the Jordan River from the land of Canaan. Pastor Xavier leads us through chapter 32 of the book of Numbers in a simple truth study that teaches the dangers of compromise and the lure of fleshly desires outside of God's protective boundaries. Let's listen. Numbers 32, I've entitled the message, So You Want Second Best. <laughs> we want to look at the developing dialogue and we want to observe some important lessons for our lives and then finish up by pointing some very practical consequences of choosing second best. Let me give you the divisions. Verses 1 through 5, you have the petition of the tribes. Verses 6 through 15, you have the reaction of Moses. Verses 16 through 19, you have the explanation of the tribes. And then verse 20 through 32, you have the agreement of Moses and the tribes. And then in verses 33 through 42, you have the occupation of the land by the tribes. Let's look at verses 1 through 5, the petition of the tribes. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jeshur and the land of Gilead and the neat that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elialeh, Sheban, Nebo, and Beom, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession, and do not take us over the Jordan. The petition of the tribes. They are given to us. You have the tribe of Reuben, Jacob's oldest son. The second one is the tribe of Gad. Then you have the half-tribe of Manasseh, which was one of the sons of Joseph. They were beginning to call the shots. Now, they're not doing it in a vacuum. They're doing it with the backdrop of knowing God's perfect will. The rationale is stated in verse 4. First, the Lord defeated them. Therefore, we are entitled to it. That's reasonable, huh? God never said that. Secondly, the land is for the livestock. And we have livestock. Two and two makes four. 
It was their own observation. It was their own conclusions. Let this land be given to us. And then do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? What was he implying here? Lack of commitment. Will you be idle while they go out to war? You see, the lack of commitment is the idea they had their part and they were satisfied. But notice, secondly, the second question in verse 7 through 13, will you discourage the hearts of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? The petition implies it is senseless. In view of all that has happened, will you now discourage? Why would you do that? In view of what? In view of all that has happened. In view of all I have done, now you want this? Why? The third question he places is verses 14 through 15. Will you be like your fathers, a brood of sinful men? <laughs> First, to increase the fierce anger of the Lord in verse 14. God would not just bring anger for the heck of it. They would be the ones who were tempting the Lord. Actually leading the people away from God. The next thing we see is the agreement of Moses and the tribes. Verses 20 through 32. Then Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and all your armed men cross over Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterwards you may return and blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones, and foals for your sheep, and do what is proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all of our livestock will be there in the city of Gilead. But your servants will cross over, every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses commanded concerning them to Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of the Gileads as a possession." But if they do not cross over armed with you, then you shall have possession among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us in this side of the Jordan." The agreement of Moses and the tribes is an interesting one. Notice, first of all, verses 20 through 27, Moses held them to their word that they had proclaimed. Accountability to what they had declared. And there are several things here. First of all, in verse 20, to go armed before the Lord for war. They would have to follow up on what they said. Secondly, in verse 21, 
to go till the Lord had driven out the enemy. They couldn't just go there for a short time until the enemy was driven out. Thirdly, in verse 22, the first portion, they were to go till the land would be subdued before the Lord. In other words, ready for them to take their inheritance. And then fourthly, in verse 22, the rest of it, to be able to return blameless before the Lord and Israel. Those conditions had to be met. And then fifth, in verse 22 of the very last portion of it, to be able to possess the land on the east side of Jordan. To be blameless and to possess it. Those conditions had to be met. Lastly, to affirm their understanding of the agreement, the two tribes responded by repeating the specifics, verses 25 through 27. We will do, just as we have said. We will do it. But notice, secondly, in this section, that Moses commanded the three tribes to be held accountable since he would not enter the promised land. Remember, God has already told him that he's not going to make it. Someone's got to hold him accountable. The witnesses were three. Eliezer, the high priest, Joshua, the leader of Israel, and the chief fathers of the tribes. They're in verse 28. Their obedience would result in their possessing their own choice. And the promise of blessing was actually put in a very negative way that was to draw them to their own will. They looked at God's best as that which was not best. Do you know how common that is? We always have our eyes, oh, well, if I could have that, if I could do this, if, if I could only be there, if I could only have her, if I could only have him, if I had this, if I had that. And it's a snare. And yet God says, here's what I have for you. This is the best. And you look at it and you go, yeah. You know, and it's just like, like spitting in God's face. You've got the best. Are you enjoying the best? Verse 33, you have Moses giving the land of King Sigon of the Amorites and King Og of Basham to the three tribes. So Moses gave to the children of, Israel, of Gad, to the children of Reuben and half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of, of Sigon, king of the Amorites, and king of Og of Basham, and the land with the cities, with its borders, and the cities of surrounding countries. Verses 34 to 36, you have Gad taking possession and building their cities. Verses 37 to 38, you have Reuben taking possession of the land and building their cities. And then verses 39 through 42, you have Manasseh taking possession of the land and building their cities. The occupation of the land by the tribes would be regretted. The occupation of this land would be regretted. Now, having this entire account before us, we want to finish by looking at the devastation of second best. We've observed it. We've looked at some key things. The devastation of second best. There are three things that I want to point out. Number one, what appeared to be an innocent and harmless petition had in fact a self-centered benefit in mind. What seemed to be an innocent and harmless petition had in fact a self-centered benefit in mind. Their petition was based on material consideration. The land. You remember Gehazi, Elijah's servant? Naaman came to get healed of leprosy, 
And after he sent him to the river Jordan to be dunked, and he was kind of upset, and he followed his servant's advice, he came back to want to reward Elijah. Elijah says, hey, listen, keep your money. I don't want it. Gehazi okay, saw it as servant. Whoa, silver, gold, Babylonian garment. He followed him down. He said, hey, listen, some of the students from the prophet's school came down. They need some change. Oh, sure, here, take it all. He went and hid it in his house. He walked in, Elijah said, Gehazi, okay, where did you go? He said, oh, nowhere, my master. Oh, how right he was. He went nowhere. He says, the leprosy of Naaman will be now upon you the rest of your life. The petition was based on material consideration. Be careful of your petitions being solely based on material consideration. Secondly, their petition was based on human observation. The land, the cattle. Two and two makes four. You remember Lot? When his herdsmen began to quarrel with Abrams. And Abram said, listen, Lot, you know, you choose. You want right, I'll go left. You want left, I'll go right. Doesn't make any difference to me. And Lot looked over towards Sodom and he saw those green water valleys and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Next time we read of Lot, he's in the city of Sodom. He's at the gate as one of the judges. Their petition was based on human observation. Oh, be careful. Everything may sound and seem so good. Do you pray about it? Do you run it through the scriptures? Do you wait upon God? You get yourselves in some deep, deep trouble. Christians are good for that. Thirdly, their petition was based on self-will, opposed to knowing God's will. They knew it. They ignored it. They opposed it. You remember Samson? Samson knew his call. His, he, was, he was told of his birth, before his birth, his name, everything. He knew God had called him. And yet, knowing God's will for himself, he was always self-will. One of the hang-ups of Samson was he loved pagan women. He was attracted to non-believing women. Cost him his sight, cost him his life. He thought he was in control. He thought he was invincible. He thought, not me. Oh yeah, you too, Samson. No one's the exception. So each of us must search our hearts and not allow anything that would take us from God's revealed will. You make sure you run things through the scriptures. You make sure that if, if it, any doubt, uh, ask somebody who you trust and who's grounded. Be praying about, wait upon God to let him confirm and direct your movements in your life. Many of us have been spared from many, many things. Other of us have not. Thirdly, in verse 32, the Latin, in the middle there, they said, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on the side of Jordan. Their mind was made up. Three times they said it. In the backdrop of what? They knew God's will. They knew it. They were not ignorant. I've seen many people through the 20 years I've been in the Lord make decisions just like this. They know God's will and they begin to compromise thinking they were the exception. They were in control. Here they are. What happened? 
They knew God's will. And they made constant choices for second best. Devastation. The third thing, what appeared to be good and worthwhile for the present turned out to be destructive in the future. First, they attempted to secure their own identity with the other tribes after returning back to take possession of their land. You find this in Joshua 22. Verses 26 and 27 gives you the real heart of the issue. This is what happened. Let me rehearse it for you. They occupied the land. They conquered it. They waited till their possession. Then they came back. They started thinking, well, you know what? We're on this side of Jordan. We're on Transjordan side. They're over there. In the following generations, you know what? Their kids are going to say to our kids, you guys aren't Israel. And we're going to lose out. And so they erected an altar as a witness to their identity with them. But by the time it got back across the river, you know how things get communicated. They said, hey, listen, those three tribes, they've backslidden. They're worshiping idols. So they said, hey, everybody get on. We're going to go kill them. We're going to go to war. They came across the river. They called them out. And they said, hey, wait a minute. What, what are you guys doing? He says, you guys misunderstand this. We built this altar for the future generations, lest your children will tell us you're not part of us. Notice, once you fall short of God's blessing or revelation, then you have to seek to secure your own. Very, very dangerous. So our separation from the people of God and gathering together for the study of the word, prayer, breaking of bread or fellowship can be destructive to each of us. Are you involved in a church consistently? In the study of the word, prayer, fellowship, involvement? If you're not, you're being separate from the people of God. It's a very destructive thing to you, to your children, to your growth in Christ Jesus. Living as close to the world as possible without being out of God's protection is a dangerous decision. <laughs> like, how far out can I be before I'm out? You know what I mean? The natural boundaries were to protect them from the enemy, not to separate them from God's people. The natural boundaries that God has given to you and myself are for our protection. They've done studies with children, and they put them in, in schoolyards, and they put fences around. And the children feel free. They play all over, and they come right up to the fence. They crawl on it. They lean up against it and all that. They've got all this yard, and they're around the perimeter. Then they take the fence down. And you know what they do? They all go towards the middle of the field or the playground. They all kind of just... They don't go by the edges. You know why? They don't know where the boundaries are. <laughs> as long as the boundaries are up, they feel safe. Oh, be careful that you don't interpret the boundaries of God as something that constricts you and for your protection. Your protection. But notice also they were the first to be attacked by the enemy. Eighteen years, these three tribes were harassed, literally shattered by the Philistines, Joshua 10.8. Not only they had to identify themselves now on their own, but they were the first to be harassed for 18 years. Their protection had been compromised by settling for second best. 
being on the other side of the Jordan. So with us, if we don't respect God's boundaries for our lives, we compromise our safety by our fleshly desires and settling for our own will. And you mess with sin, and you know what? It'll be a constant affliction to you. Over and over and over again. And it seems like you can never get over it. It seems like you can never get on top of it. Why? Simple. You're on the wrong side of the Jordan. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so you cannot do that which you wish, Galatians 5.17 says. Have you noticed that? Light and darkness. Flesh and spirit. You've got to make a choice. But thirdly, they were the first to go into captivity. God stirred up the spirit of Paul, the king of Assyria, Tilgath-Pileser, who carried them off into captivity, 1 Chronicles 5.26. They were the first. They were the first to be afflicted. They were the first to go into captivity. So every person who is constantly making provisions for his or her flesh to fulfill the lust thereof will be taken captive by sin, Romans 13, 14. You keep messing with sin, you'll be a captive of sin. Guaranteed. Such a person that is overcome after having escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and again entangled, his or her latter end is worse than the first, 2 Peter 2.20. He's talking a Christian, not a non-believer. Only a Christian has overcome sin. He says your latter end will be worse than the first. You remember the first time before you were in Christ? He says it'll be worse. Why? Because you have knowledge. To those who much is given, much is required. The strong warning is that it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Who's he talking to? He can only be talking to a Christian. 2 Peter 2.21 Not a non-Christian. Not one who thinks he's a Christian, but one who is a Christian. The wilderness experience for 40 years had taught them the basic lessons of obedience, it appears, right? No. Isn't it interesting that we can see the havoc and the devastation of people's lives and we cannot learn from it? We can just ignore it and say, I am the exception? Oh, that's scary. The lesson of settling for God's second best rather than His first best is a sad commentary on our lives and a very costly one. The petition of the tribe was void of God's will. How are your petitions? Are they according to God's will? The reaction of Moses was outrage. As you share your fleshly desires and plans, are people outraged or are they as carnal as you? The explanation of the tribes was compromise. And if your plans and mine are after that same pattern, it's equally compromise. The agreement of Moses and the tribe was formality. We can be going through formality even though we come to church, even though we're involved in ministry. The occupation of the land by the tribes would be regretted, even as you will regret whatever you have in plan apart from God's will. The devastation of second best is due to the fact that it is based on self-centered motives, despising and rejecting God's best, and it costs us in the long run. Absolute guarantee. 
God give us wisdom and learn from the tragic experience of these people in the wilderness. Pastor Xavier Reese draws some cautions and dangers of compromising God's will by illustrating with the children of Israel unwilling to enter into the promised land, Canaan. Now, just before we close, let me take these last moments to mention that copies of today's study, simply titled, So You Want Second Best, are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply, So You Want Second Best, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com